Welcome into the Landscape Photography Show. This is episode 81. And as I'm excited for every single episode of the podcast, I was specifically excited for this one just because I get to talk with four other photographers. Now, we're talking today with the four founders of the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. And this is a new competition in landscape photography. And I had several questions for them. Number one, what sets this competition aside from the rest of them? Why was it started? And was it started in retaliation of some of the other photography competitions that kind of breed non-realistic images? And whether you're on one side of the argument or the other, I think you're going to find their answers to be very inclusive and very accepting of all styles, which was honestly my surprise. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into the podcast. Today, we're joined by a few photographers on a panel discussion today. We're with the organizers of the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. I'm going to throw it over to them to allow them to to introduce themselves. So, Matt, why don't you get us rolling? Well, thanks, David, for having us. It's a a real honor to to be on the other side of the microphone with you on your show. for those that aren't familiar with me, I'm Matt Payne. I'm the uh, host of another photography podcast you might have heard of, and the one of the co-founders of the, the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. I'm a photographer in Durango, Colorado, and I absolutely love nature and landscape photography and all things ethical around it, and, and I love controversy, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tim, why don't, Tim, why don't you go next? Yeah, I'm, I'm Tim Parkin, one of the uh, co-founders again. Uh, I run a landscape photography magazine with my wife called On Landscape here in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, I think I've got quite a lot in common with Matthew in many ways in that uh, I think we're both addicted to the mountains. Enjoy photography for the journey as much as the end product. Um, it's been quite exciting chatting about uh, this this project uh rajesh another co-founder i I thought uh, i thought alex would go next but (laughs) what i'm not is i'm not a mountaineer like these guys are (laughs) i do i do like landscape photography and uh, um, i like to keep things natural and uh, i'm based out of dallas texas uh, yeah, and uh, I'm I'm Alex Nail, um, and I tend to go to more remote places when I'm actually allowed to do that. And I do a lot of camping and summit camping in particular. So I'm a very keen mountain photographer, and I've also been beating this drum of reality in photography for longer than I uh, care to say. But uh, yeah, glad to be part of this competition. Well, why don't we start off with that, Alex? And let me just throw it right back over to you. What is in your description, reality and nature photography. Oh, how long have we got? I thought you said you wanted to get this done in an hour. Um, Yeah, yeah, real real kind of worms that because I think what we're talking about um, is the kind of common understanding that people have of uh, realism in photography, the kind of idea that 
photographs don't lie when of course we all know that they do in various degrees through focal length choice what you're excluding um, your creative choices your editing choices um, so you know there's many ways in which uh, photos aren't real and yet there is that really strong connection to reality which I think everybody in in, in this group here and many photographers will think is a particularly important part of photography and landscape photography in particular uh, this this ability to transport the viewer, which I'm sure other people will uh, will mention in the course of this this podcast, that's a sort of underpinning idea of of the competition. Um, yeah, so reality in photography for me, it's not about absolutes. Uh, it's a subjective sense of uh, a, a photograph having a very strong connection to the location and being entirely believable, essentially. In terms of the competition and the awards themselves, why start this up and, and who is the one to get the ball rolling on this? It's actually started on both sides of the Atlantic, if I may say. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, like I, I was on Matt's uh, podcast and thanks for having us on this one too. I mean, um, uh, we all are connected some one way or the other through F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Um, so I've been beating up on the, on the back in the on the on the in the background uh, with uh, Matt on like you know how landscape photography had taken a different turn and it's going in a certain direction and on the other hand across the Atlantic Alex Neil was doing the same thing with Tim Parkin. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got quite a bit of history, haven't we, Alex, in terms of looking at uh, competition entries and trying to lift the lid on. Um, I, th I think possibly some of the abuses of the system historically. Um, now that's since we've chatted probably about from about six years ago, we've looked at um, what was important about photography. And I think one of the things I wrote in an article for the website was about how we started as photographers looking at books by people like Joe Cornish um, maybe Jack DeKinga, David Munch, uh, National Geographic Magazine, Sierra Club. And the idea that you can look at all of these sources and be directly transported to a place and, and be fairly reasonably sure that what you're seeing is connected to what actually happened there. And I think that's one of the joys that we had. Um, and I, I was chatting with Alex about this and, and as an aside, I also help with a competition called the Wildlife Photographer of the Year Awards. Uh, it's run out of it, the Natural History Museum, um, and it has very strong ethical standards to do with wildlife photography. That had a Landscape Photography Award as part of it for the last 10 years or so, and it got dropped last year. And so me and Alex were talking about, oh, it, it'd be great if, we could, if there was a competition out there that actually looked at filtering just the works that had that connection that we're talking about. Um, and Alex said to us, oh, actually, Matt's been talking about this. And Matt just started working for uh, writing articles for On Landscape about some of the people who'd been on his podcast. And so Alex said, go have a chat with Matt. Uh, and, you, and you were, I think we had quite a lot in common, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because <clears throat> I... I think for me personally, I, I have been interested in trying to create a competition for landscape photographers that, um, that value that style of presenting their images um, in a way that's believable and, 
And, you know, that when you look at the photograph, you know, like, oh, if I go to that place, I can expect to have a similar experience. Or I, I know that when I'm looking at this particular photograph, that it was something that that person actually experienced. And as somebody who has a deep connection with nature and landscapes and, and, and photography all together, for me, that's an incredibly important aspect of, of the craft of landscape uh, and nature photography, that it have that connection to experience, that it have that connection to, to something that, that we all hold special, that we revere um, as lovers of nature. And, and, you know, I, I was, I've just been seeing more and more trends of the opposite direction where that type of photography wasn't as popular. It wasn't as celebrated. Um, it wasn't winning as many awards, you know, it's being overlooked for photography that is more about, you know, digital editing and people's skills in Photoshop and things like that, which is in its own right, a very, you know, very art, Form, very specific art form that takes a lot of skill and talent, uh, but it's but it's in my mind it, it's it's a different thing, and um, so I really wanted to find a way to create something for photography that is of that more realistic nature, and so it's funny I was um, chatting with Alex, and I was like, hey, do you have any interest in thinking about doing something like this? And he's like, uh, you know, maybe. But uh, I heard Tim Parkin is actually thinking about doing something like this. You should reach out to him. And and then this was probably like what back in December, January when we yeah. all started talking. And, and then you know it it quickly took leg grew legs and before we know it we had created a our own business entity in the UK. Uh, we created a website. We created a marketing plan. We created a business plan. We um, I mean we literally met for probably six hours a week, uh, every week to hash out details. So it's, it's really come a long way since the start of the year. Matt, I know on an earlier episode of this podcast, you and I discussed your views on manipulation in objects and in landscape photography. And I believe if, if I'm not mistaken, you related it to ancient Roman statues and male genitalia. Now we're not talking about <laughs> genitalia enhancement in this episode, but specifically like what, how, I think the question I, I'm trying to ask here is how are you going to define gray areas in photography into black and white rules and regulations through this awards? Uh, great question. And first, let me say that was perhaps not my uh, finest moment. <laughs> it was, to, though. It was. And trying to describe my attitudes towards this particular topic, although perhaps might be the funniest way I've described it. Um, you know, it's a great question, David. I think First of all, let me just say that we're not trying to paint any black and white lines in the sand with our competition. In fact, we believe that we've created quite a bit of room for interpretation and gray area with our competition rules. And really, we have one very specific rule that kind of overarches all other rules, and that is what we like to call our golden rule, which is that the integrity of the subject must be maintained. And you can kind of take that a lot of different directions as a photographer, subjectively and objectively. Uh, but at the end of the day, what it really means is that somebody else with the knowledge of photography and someone who has a 
pretty general understanding of how lenses and cameras work and you know they understand how wide angle creates distortion and things like that when they look at a photograph and they look and if they were standing there they would say yeah that looks pretty representative of of you know what that person experienced um we're really just trying to get away from a lot of the things that we see being um i don't know popularized i guess i would say for lack of a better term you know what i like to call magic tricks um in 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 the editing world you know where people are blending multiple perspectives and focal lengths to kind of create a best of both worlds scenario you know where we have people that are um swapping in skies from different locations or you know cloning out non-transient objects you know we're not purists i think we're pretty firmly in the middle if you were to ask people and in fact a lot of people who have read our rules say that they're they're not purist enough so it's been an interesting um we've been, gotten some interesting feedback but definitely i don't think we're trying to say this is black or white yeah i think the logic behind it is that it is it is subjective so in many ways the 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 final line will be drawn by the judges so if there's pictures that are going in that are yeah, I might say you could be stretching the envelope slightly, um, but haven't gone overboard. You may say, okay, well, we're not, these, these shouldn't be excluded. Let's pass it to the judges and see whether they think they are within the scope of this idea um, that the integrity of the subject should be maintained or a different way of looking at it would be, would a person feel deceived if they saw the original scene after seeing that photograph? Um, so... As it may change over time, for instance. It may be then four years' time, we have a different panel of judges and they have a slightly more uh, nuanced approach to it or they, certain processes become accepted, such as focal length blending, which I think at the moment is, is on the other side of the line, but things change over time. Alex and Rajesh, uh, I just want to ask you this. How, how do you intend on not allowing this to cause a further divide between the two stances in landscape photography? I think the first thing to say is that I think part of the reason for the divide is that it's it's not discussed enough that both sides actually feel like they can even have a conversation about it. I think there's a lot of misrepresentation of quotes purists. I mean, let's say that the four of us are purists for the sake of it, because we've certainly been called that uh, plenty of times, or I have anyway. Um, I, I think... You know, quite often people switch off because they think that you're um, trying to shut them down creatively. I mean, of course, there there are certain things that I've argued for in the past and and Matt has too around how we talk about our images, how truthful we are. I mean, you know, there have been some very prominent photographers, for example, who've written pretty extensive diatribes about how a shot was captured and the awe of seeing the moon rise above the horizon or whatever. And you can visibly see that the moon has just been dropped into the scene. So, you know, there's an element of barefaced lying, which obviously isn't acceptable in any realm of life, really. Uh, and an artist is no different. Um, but mostly people aren't doing that. They're taking their own creative approaches. And, you know, we've argued for, you know, potentially saying, okay, well, I did this, I did that, or labeling your work as digital art. And, you know, we've we've gone back and forth with those arguments over time. And I think it's really important that those things are discussed and that maybe one day there'll, there'll be a resolution, although I suspect not. Um, 
but I I don't think that uh, we, we're not trying to create a competition that says these are the bad guys and uh, you you can't join in here because this isn't for you. In fact, it's the opposite. We'd we'd love to see people who use these processes enter the competition without using those processes because most of them, well, all, all of all of the prominent ones, that's certainly the case, are, are absolutely brilliant artists and they're absolutely capable of producing outstanding images without the kinds of techniques that we don't allow. So if anything, we'd kind of love them to, to get on board. And um, I think a lot of us have also used some techniques which we're not allowing in this competition. So there's no element of trying to shame photographers for for what they have done in the past or, or are doing now, because that, that really isn't the purpose of the competition. We just want to give a voice to everybody who's, who's sort of staying down that very uh, truth to nature approach. In other words, like, you know, we have a level playing field for everybody, right? Um, like Alex mentioned, obviously there are fantastic artists out there, great artists who create great imagery, and I'm a fan of them. I'm a fan of a lot of them. Um, how do, you know, they compete in a competition, somebody who does not do those things has a very slim chance of doing well at all. There, are, It's not often that folks that are, like Alex Nail or some like Adam Gibbs or some or even Alex Noriega, uh, win competitions with some of the imagery that's out there right now. So we're just seeking to provide a level playing field for everybody. You know, people that are great artists and people who may be the other extreme. But, um, like Alex said, you know, we are not definitely purists. None of us are. How do you feel, though, when somebody does call you a purist in landscape photography? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm a grown adult. I don't personally get offended when people choose to go down those paths. I, I mean, if you're going to be offended by someone you don't even know calling you a name on the Internet, then I, I don't know. I just don't have time for that personally. Like, if you want to call me a purist, that's fine. It's... It's, it's a form of heuristics to simplify. I, I mean, that's the same thing if I were just to say you're a digital artist charlatan. You know what I mean? Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't invite open and meaningful conversation on, on, our, on your opinion. And I, I think that's part of the problem that Alex was describing earlier. You know, we don't really have great language to have non-confrontational conversations about this particular topic. And I think... Um, in particular, it's it's quite difficult to take the position on this side of the fence because it requires a lot more articul articulation um, around what your beliefs are versus um, people that just say, "Well, it's art; just do whatever you want." Um, it, it's a very it's a very difficult position to take in in that regards. It is interesting because both things are valid. I mean, these these ideas that we're talking about are really irrelevant for an artist or a photographer working on their own. For, for In a personal context, it doesn't matter what you do. It only becomes a factor when images are being compared with each other or photographers are being compared with each other. And that might be online, say, for, say if you're in a Facebook group and you see a stream of photographs. If those photographs are a mix of things that are, let's call it straight, and things that are more edited, there becomes a bit of a friction between the two sides. The same goes for competitions. As soon as a competition happens, 
you get multiple people entering thinking they're entering the same thing and you find out actually it's different. This is also goes for things like classic landscape as a label or intimate as a label. Artists don't tend to use those to label their own work. They only become an issue in, in books or for competitions or for Facebook groups, etc. Or when you're building a website and you can't work out what to put in the navigation. I've certainly been called a lot worse than a purist, and I would actually invite um, that level of uh, compliment on my own photography. Let, let me ask you this, and, and Tim, I'll throw it back to you. How and why did you decide on the specific judges that you did? And, and maybe even get into what was their initial reaction when you approached them? Yeah, this, this is a, a tough one, because when we started, one of the first things you've got to do is choose the judges. That's in many ways the brand of the competition is reflected through that those choices. Um, now we, between myself and Matt, we have quite a network of people we know, um, and we also have a quite a network of people we we've a smaller network of people we've contacted individually, chatted with, met up with, um, and we wanted to make sure we could engage people for no money. We weren't sure if the competition was going to be a success, but we wanted it to work. So initially we went to the, the judges we had and said, uh, we had to go back to them and say, will you judge this competition for nothing? Uh, we, we want to pay you, but it's a possibility we won't get that many entries. So would you be happy to do it for nothing if, if it came to it? And interestingly, I mean, the first two obvious ones, I think on my side was Joe Cornish, help me start the magazine. We worked together closely on it. And he was an obvious choice for the UK side of things. Uh, and we looked at who who from that uh, old school, I think, would you call it, uh, could we choose? I mean, William Neal was an obvious choice. We both knew him. So that set up a couple of photographers. Then we went through a few people that we, we knew well that we'd like. Um, they had to have, hopefully, a bit of a networking side so we could get uh, some interest. So a social media profile or big name recognition were important. Uh, and we had to be comfortable asking them to work for nothing. And that, that was the main filter to begin with. And I think the interesting, I mean, most of the judges came in quite quickly. Um, and one of the late judges was um, Sandra Bartoka. And that's a, this is an interesting one because we, when we originally set the pricing for the competition, it was more pitched around the standard uh, Western competition pricing, quite expensive. If you look at the European model of pricing, you tend to get uh, uh, quite a few entries for around the £30, £20 mark. Uh, and Sandra Bartoka came up and said, it's a brilliant idea. Actually, she was on Facebook to me sending messages saying, it's a brilliant idea, but you've you're ripping people off. It's just another bunch of old white men trying to make money for themselves. Uh, she's quite yeah, blunt, she took the, Sandra. Took the full fire and brimstone approach, which apparently got yeah. our attention. So uh, we, we argued for about an hour online. And in the end, I called her. And so we argued for about an hour over the phone, shouting at each other. Uh, my wife thought there was a massive uh, falling out going on. But it's a good job we know each other quite well. And in the end, I said, look, we'd like to change the pricing. It's a good idea. We'll change the pricing. And having done so, would you like to be a judge? 
Uh, and that managed to shut her up a little bit for a while. But yeah, no, she she is definitely behind the whole idea for it. And she's she's always been good for telling people what she thinks. And she's normally right. Can I can I just add one more thing? You know, I I personally reached out to several of our judges, including Alex Noriega and Sarah Marino. And they both expressed to me like, yes, absolutely. This is the type of competition that I want to be involved with. It's the direction I want to see landscape and nature photography go. Um, this, I, I don't I mean, I don't want to speak for Sarah specifically, but she was very emphatic, you know, passionately saying that like your competition sounds like it's trying to solve all of the problems that I have with all the existing competitions. And I definitely want to be a part of that. So there was a lot, a lot of enthusiasm from our judges to get involved in this particular project. And similarly, Stefan Forster, who is a very well-known photographer in in Switzerland and in the German-speaking world in particular, uh, when I messaged him, he immediately said yes and said, and I don't even want to be paid. Uh, And that was before I'd even told him that we we didn't currently have a budget. So yeah, there's been there's been a lot of enthusiasm from the judges, and that's carried through to the public response really as well, which has been really nice to see. So, to, if I may add, um, one of the things that we wanted for the competition is for the judges to be inspirational figures. You know, the competitions that I did, I tended to enter in the past, at least, were the ones that were judged by well-known well-known photographers. Uh, competitions that have had great photographers been the years before. Um, so that was a huge consideration, and I think all of our judges met that criteria. So that was kind of uh, really. We did have a list of judges we wanted, and um, every single one from the list we wanted all said yes. So we were very happy. Hey guys, real quick, I just want to take a break from talking to the four founders of the Natural Landscape Photography Awards to talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's USB Memory Direct. Right now, you can just type in usbmemorydirect.com and scroll through all of the options that they have for customizable flash drives. Not only are they customizable, but they also offer over 50 styles of customizable flash drives to ensure that you stand out among everybody else, and you can also create completely custom shaped flash drives for those looking for even to level up their branding and make their flash drives, their photos, their products stand out among everybody else. I think one of the greatest ways that you can use this is to get your photos on the flash drives into your potential client's hands or your client's hands, whether that be in one-on-one meetings or at trade shows where you're looking for potential clients and you want them to see your images. They also offer price matching, lifetime warranty, and free shipping to the United States and Canada. So right now, again, you can go to usbmemorydirect.com and check out all of USB Memory Direct's customizable flash drives. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. I can hear the level of excitement when you talk about the judging, when you talk about people to start entering. Let me ask you this, in terms of the people who do want to enter, how do you want them to be inspired by the competition? Um, Yeah, so I I think uh, really you're entering the competition because you want to be part of the whole movement, if you want to call it that. I mean, I think in many ways that the competition is actually 
pig, piggybacking on a movement that is already starting. I think I've noticed an influence of YouTube, actually, where you see a lot of YouTubers, of course, they have to go out into the landscape and they take their photograph. Well, of course, it has to represent what they've actually just videoed. And, you know, I think that's one of the factors that's feeding in that a lot of photographers are being inspired by YouTubers now who follow that kind of line. So I think there's an element of we're, we're riding a wave. And I think people entering first might be interested in in taking part just because it's the kind of photography that they enjoy themselves and the kind of photography that they believe in. Um, I, I think when you enter competitions, you have to do it with a level of pragmatism and, and realize that actually you you probably won't win. Most most people won't win, right? I mean, I, when I entered competitions, I always thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to win the top prize? And of course, it's nice to have enticing top prizes. And it's exciting to take part and wait for that email and see if you got shortlisted or, or won, a, won a prize. Um, but I think you have to just just be in it to enjoy it, enjoy a bit of a, a gamble because it's often a, a weighted gamble. That's actually the way I like to, to look at it, kind of like a, a lottery where you might have a slight advantage because, you know, you believe in your own style of photography. So I, I think that that's the first reason that people would enter is just to to enjoy the experience of of actually competing but hopefully not as seeing as some sort of final judgment on their photography ability because that's never what competition should be we have a panel of judges who are very knowledgeable in their fields uh, and and have come with a variety of different approaches to landscape photography as well um but they can't objectively pick the best images they can only pick based on the criteria that they're given and their subjective opinions and of course that's going to produce some incredible results um but yeah i hope hope everybody can can enter for for a bit of fun but just to become be a part of that style of photography and endorse it well one thing i would add and i i really want rajesh to answer this question too because he enters a lot of competitions but one thing i wanted to add real quick is uh you know, it occurs to me that um, that you know part of part of what entering this competition does is is saying you, that you voice your support of this style of landscape and nature photography. Um, we actually put some consideration into launching it over Kickstarter. Um, our intention for this project has never been to to make money. We really just wanted to create. A, a competition that celebrates this style of photography. And at the end of the day, we decided against going with Kickstarter, but we also wanted to make sure that people knew that like by, by entering the competition, you are in, you're directly helping us elevate this type of photography to a new level. And, and not only that, but we, we are very hopeful uh, that if we have enough people entering, we're going to produce a very, very, very high quality fine art coffee table book with um, not just with the winning images and not just, you know, we're going to have some storytelling in there. We're going to have some thoughts from judges on their favorite images. Um, it's going to be more than just here's the here's the winners. Here's who got who here are the best photos from the competition. It's going to be much more than that. And in an ideal world, if we get enough entries, we can actually give that book to people that enter at a certain level. So we're very hopeful to be able to do that. Um, Rajas, I want to hear your thoughts on this because 
you enter a ton of competitions. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell you the reasoning why I enter, or used to at least enter a lot of uh, competitions is because I'm fairly new to the scene. I'm, I started photography in about 2015, seriously. Uh, I never had a DSLR before that. So as I went deep into this, I wanted to know how I'm progressing, how am I doing with my peer group. So there was no way of judging myself if I'm going in the right direction, if my photography is going in the right direction. One way to do that was by entering well-recognized competitions. And I must say that that has helped me grow as a photographer, has helped me grow in a certain direction. And uh, that should be one of the major reasons why people should look up to a competition that's judged by the best of the best in the, in the, in the uh, field. And that's one way that our competition will help people grow individually too. It's a, it's a different take on things. I had to write an application for a bank account for the uh, the company, and one of the for the for the particular bank account we were looking at, one of the, our accountants said, "Don't put in that it's a competition because of um, various things to do with gambling, etc." It just it looks if you can describe it in a different way, it would be a bit better. And so I, I had a look at what we're actually doing, and I put us down as a media company. What we do is we uh, solicit entries for a, for an exhibition, which is a virtual exhibition as part of a book that goes with it. Uh, these entries would be curated by some professional photographers who would then get to choose the final images that would be in the exhibition and eventually in the book as well. And I thought, well, that is actually what it is. And there, there's a prize involved as well, but let's just ignore that for a moment. If we if we say it's a curated exhibition where you pay for the opportunity to be assessed, that's how exhibitions work in, in New York. If you want to be considered for an open exhibition in a gallery, uh, quite often there is a fee involved. So is it really that different? That's And I, I quite like that as a way of looking at it. I want all of you to to think about inspiration since that's kind of what we're talking about for for people entering. But for all four of you, and and we'll go around, I want to get your take on all of this. I want you to reflect on on your photography right now, looking at post-competition. What do you hope to gain in terms of inspiration from looking at the entries and, and the future of your own personal photographic journey? For me, what I'm looking for is, you know, I hate to be a pragmatist here, but I want I want to feel good about nature and landscape photography again. I, I, I feel like we're constantly inundated on social media and the existing competitions and platforms with imagery that's been popularized um, that doesn't it doesn't represent the type of photography that I personally appreciate. And so I want the competition to be a lighthouse or a beacon for people to have hope in this particular art form in the way that I personally see it um, so that they too can know that, hey, the way that I do this photography thing is appreciated by other people too. And it's actually a lot of other people. So that's what I want to see out of it. Yeah, and I'll just say that I could not have said that better than Matt. In fact, the moment he started saying that, I thought, uh, I wish I'd wish I'd thought to say that because actually, I think that 
Yeah, it, I mean, for me, more than anything, this competition is going to give me a little bit of a break about thinking about this stuff. We sort of created something that actually does move in the direction that I would personally like to see photography moving in in a more public, popular way, if, if that makes sense, you know, so that there's a bit of exposure for this as a slightly different approach to photography. Um, but I would also like to see some some great winners in the, in the competition itself. Um, I've often wondered where the next Joe Cornish is going to come from. So Joe is one of the judges. He's one of few photographers I could say is a genuine inspiration. I think uh, many people talk about um, photographers being inspiring, but I think they actually generally mean that they admire them. So inspiration is when uh, somebody causes you to change your entire approach. And, and Joe is one of those people for me. And I think there are these people within the photography community already um, who have these enormous talents that are being overlooked by work that is attuned a little bit better to what social media is looking for in terms of impact. Uh, one of the things that I would like, you know, I, I, I want to say how the judging, uh, I'm excited about how the judging is going to happen, to how all these great masters come together and look, all, look at all these images from all across the world, from photographers of different um, techniques, you know, different styles of photography, but they're all competing on this one, uh, one level playing field. And I want to, to be an eyewitness to that is the exciting part for me. I mean, I'm most excited about that. And if a photographer that we have never heard of before from some remote corner of the world is able to impress these judges and with, with the phenomenal imagery that, that he or she has put together, that would be the ultimate. Uh, similarly, you know, we know a lot of great photographers that, um, you know, don't subscribe to this realistic style of photography. If they enter and they compete and they win and we say, wow, he could do this too or she could do this too. So either way we win. I mean, it could be a famous photographer who enters our competition and wins it or somebody whom we have never heard about but comes up with this great set of images. It's a great outcome regardless of who wins. I think Mike... My point of view on this is to, I, I get inspired by photography books. I think the photography book is one of the best medium to see how a, a good photographer works. They've chosen the work and they've chosen work that's personal to them that will last. Um, and so when I pick up a either a, a photographer's book or a compilation book, I can get lost in it. I can get inspired by the pictures within it. And the one thing I've realized is I've got quite a few competition books on my shelves. And there is a little bit of a, a confectionery flavor to everything within. They're all a little bit too instant. They're, they have the same rhythm and, and meter and the way, they, the way they sound, if that makes sense. If they're music, you'd be listening to a single radio station playing one style of music. It's, that's not completely true, but I do get that feeling sometimes. And I want to have a book of full of new photographers with lots of new locations, um, excellent composition. And I think composition is something that's often not considered an important aspect or it gets lost within current competitions. Um, and if I can have a book at the end of this where I can go back to it and refer to it and get me excited about going out and taking photographs again, I think that'll be a 
it'll be a great win. And it'd be great to have some new photographers to for me and Matt to feature in our magazines and podcasts as well. And you'll have GPS coordinates to all those new locations, right? Every single one, yeah. That's, click that's on something, get your buy, booking information. That's only if you buy the book. Oh, okay, okay. Now, let me go to you, Matt, on that, since that's kind of a, a, a joke. Um, how do you hope the competition brings light to more conservation efforts in nature photography since in recent months, not only years, but in just in recent months, we've seen a drastic uptick. And I can be a, a firsthand witness to that of vandalizing national parks and public lands. Yeah. So one of the somewhat unique aspects of our competition is that we have a project category or it, it's a, almost a, it's a separate entry. So what we're looking for is six to 10 images on a theme. And that theme is pretty open-ended based on the interpretation of the photographer. And uh, we expect and hope that some of those entries will be of conservation value or of environmental um, value. So we absolutely, and we've actually thought about maybe in year two, including an entirely uh, conservation or environmental award um, for the competition, because we, we recognize that that landscape and nature photography can and does play a role in conservation issues. And so, yeah, we're very much in tune with, with the power of naturally presented landscapes having an impact on the viewer to want to preserve or conserve particular locations or um, habitats or ecosystems. And I think that's an, of incredible import for all, for all four of us, actually, as founders. I think there's a, a connection here between the sort of um, level of trust or level of integrity in the image and conservation. I, th- I think it's very difficult to have images used in conservation work that are heavily manipulated. It's, it's almost, it doesn't work. If, if people are going to get behind a campaign to uh, raise awareness of an area or show its beauty, the images have to be trustworthy. It'd be difficult to get, um, let's say, Peter Tombrovskis' work in Tasmania. If, if his work was manipulated and people went and saw it and went, oh, he looks nothing like that. Why are we saving this? Or Elliot Porter's work in the, the, in the flooding of the deserts. We, we need to have a trust in the images we see in order to have faith in the landscape itself. So I do hope it works in that side. And, and one aspect we should also say is we have a, one of the guiding principles is to reward originality. And that, that's in terms of composition and photography, but also in, in terms of locations. Now, we'd be very disappointed if we had a, the top five pictures are all from Patagonia and Iceland, for instance. Um, not We don't want to know where these pictures are, but we want to see a whole variety to represent multiple different landscapes and some new ways of seeing them. Rajesh or Alex? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're also pretty excited to be aligned with Nature First as well. So we're we're following their principles. We're, we're encouraging all entrants to look at their principles for conservation in photography um, and follow them when they're entering their images. Um, I think location sharing is, is a is a big issue um, around around conservation, and that's something that we're going to have a really careful think about when we're presenting 
uh, images back to people when we're when we're selecting our winners and how we choose to do that because I think uh, that that has come to be a, a big problem with photography, um, particularly with with Instagram, of course, and and location sharing, just driving hordes of people to specific locations. Yeah, I mean specifically, I know Alex Noriega. He he had a winning photograph in when he won International Landscape Photographer of the Year of. Uh, I think it was not to say the name, but it's out there already. Tipsu Lake in Rainier National Park, and now there's—I mean, when he went there, he was skipped over the rocks, and there was no path. And now there's a full-blown trail right to where he took that photograph because people want to copy his photograph based on what he won in that competition. And I think we see a lot of that in in landscape and nature photography right now, where people look to landscape and nature photography competitions as inspiration for places to go shoot and or photograph and and i think to alex's point we need to be careful about you know severing the relationship between people that win competitions and the locations that they're photographing getting destroyed by people that want to make that photograph for themselves in terms of playing one side against the other i I know there was a big backlash against a lot of recent awards is is this a retaliation against that well i i mean i think we actually just kind of had that as a coincidence really it was it was maybe the straw that broke the camel's back but the discussions had started long before any of those controversies and it's actually been something that's built over time i mean i think the very first photography competition I entered in 2008 had a sky that had been dropped into one of the, and, and that was actually when I started talking to Tim about photoshopping in, in landscape photography. And actually that competition had it in their rules that you weren't allowed to do that. And when I messaged the organizers, they said, we felt it was within the spirit of the competition. So there's kind of been a bit of a background uh, with, uh, with with Tim and I looking at these competitions over the years. And, and I think um, as social media's influence has grown, so that kind of photography has grown. And it's not necessarily a problem in its own right, but I think it has slightly drowned out people who are taking a, a more traditional eyewitness, eyewitness approach to their photography. One of the things that happen, has happened in the recent past is there are very few photography competitions that are dedicated to landscape photography. There are uh, competitions that include a variety of uh, genres, not just landscape, and especially one that uh, has some rules. Some, you know, most some competitions that have no rules. I mean, pretty much anything goes as long as the work is is your own. Um, so that's what we sought to address here. And again, the timing. Like uh, Alex said, it was just the camels, the last straw. But on the other hand, we've been talking about it for a long time. Matt and I have probably have been talking about it for about a couple of years. And jokingly, we said, hey, you know, let's start one <laughs> even a year ago. So the timing was just like you know, it had to happen. And, and I have to say, I got so disenchanted with photography competitions myself that I was only entering the Wildlife Photographer of the Year because it was the only competition that had the rules that I was looking for. Uh, so even though they only had a tiny landscapes category, that was the only competition that I entered, unsuccessfully, I might add. And so now I've created my own competition so that... <laughs> you can't enter that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would be an that would be an interesting thing for us to talk about too. But 
in terms of competitions that allow judges to enter their own competitions and whatnot. But, you know, to piggyback on what Alex said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I find myself fairly tapped into, you know, the zeitgeist of what a lot of landscape and nature photographers are talking about just because of my podcast. And I've, the, 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 the rhetoric that I've heard over and over and over again from lots and lots of really talented photographers is that they feel like they cannot compete against uh, other photographers who are um, creating their photographs in Photoshop um, using those types of techniques. And so uh, that's a frustration that I think a lot of people are having. And so I think this type of competition opens the door for those types of individuals to get excited again about entering a competition and getting their work seen by their peers and to have their work celebrated um, within our community. And I think, you know, if, if you're someone who does adhere to those other types of editing styles, you do you, like you can enter those other competitions still. There's no, you know, we're not saying you're less than or that it's, you know, you're, worse person than us or whatever it's if anything we're just saying here's something that we like now too and we yeah now we all get to have something we like to enter right so from my point of view as well i i'm a judge on the well i help the judging for the wildlife photographer of the year competition but i also help judge the international landscape photographer of the year um there's a colleague peter eastway who runs it uh, and when we were looking at starting this, I went to Peter Eastway and said, um, you know, I'm starting a competition. It's it's different in many ways to what you're doing. Uh, but I understand if you don't want me to be a judge as a, a competing competition. And he said, no, it's I don't see a problem. It's like they're very different competitions and we still want you to be a judge here as well. So it's I don't think there is the competition there. I don't I think a lot of the friction between the two camps is is probably because the people who make the most noise are the ones who are talking in that way. Well, Tim, let me, let me throw it back to you. I know Matt kind of brought up a, an interesting topic of judges entering their own competitions. I, I don't want to go that route, but I do want to say, I know a lot of photographers kind of like what you said, Matt, and, and having a podcast and talking with a lot of people, I kind of know the, quote unquote clicks that hang out together in landscape photography. How do you guard against biased in the judging of, you know, re- kind of people complaining, well, that's so-and-so's friend, you know, obviously they're going to win with these judges and we can even piggyback whose email should they send that to Matt? Do you want them to send it to you? Only if it's um, accompanied with a large PayPal payment. <laughs> I, I think there's, it's it's going to be difficult to do anyway. But the main thing that, to do there is to be a have a good framework for the judging. Um, the, the first way you do it is make sure the all the judges aren't in the same clique to begin with. Uh, I think we've got eight judges who have quite a varied way of looking at the world. Uh, on top of that, hopefully people will be honest and recuse themselves if if they see pictures that they recognize uh, and that can happen in the later rounds it doesn't happen have to happen in the early rounds um, and then it's it it's it's difficult to say if you pick a whole range of judges and they all 
like a certain style. It may be because that style's got something going for it. Um, I, I would hope, given a broad range of judges and a good chair, we should see quite a an array of different styles of pictures. And, and this, this is one of the things we wanted to address as well. I think there is the way judging works can end up with many pictures being awarded which are of a certain style. So, for instance, let, let's look at the obvious one of um, each picture gets awarded a score and then all the scores are rounded up. Well, how do you score a picture? That's very difficult. In, in, your, in your head, you're going to have certain things that you are happy to score, so from composition, light, etc. Um, however, if a picture's also wow on top of that, if it's got the impact, you'll tend to give an extra score to it. If you it, it, Just an accumulative addition of factors. And so you end up with a, a lot of pictures being chosen that have this high impact, so either astro pictures or aerial pictures because they have a huge difference in originality. Um, and I think this is how you see a certain type of image winning a competition. It's not necessarily to do with the pictures being the better one, but it is to do with the way judging can work. And a lot of that is about having judges that are self-aware enough to be able to see that happening and to give them a framework that allows them to avoid some of these cognitive traps in judging. Um, for instance, aerial photography, that it's very different and gets recognised as being looking very original. We've set up a separate category just for aerial photography, and that removes it from the context of the competition. The pictures are still amazing, but now they're sitting in a, a unique category where they're judged against their like. The same with astro, nightscape photography. They have a certain look and they stand out. So aurora photography tends to do well. Volcanoes at night tend to do well, strangely. And they're massively impactful events, and you understand why. Um, and then we have an intimate category. Now, intimate pictures tend not to do that well because they take a little bit of absorbing. They're not instant, very rarely wow. Uh, and so bringing them out and having their own category should help those stand on their own merits. And as we go into the judging of the final stages, hopefully we'll give the judges some guidance of what we're looking for. For instance, originality should trump certain other features. If you've got five pictures of Patagonia that, let's say you had a score, say there were 90, and you had a picture of an amazing location that was original, and it only scored 88, I would suggest that we should be scoring the picture that's original some extra points because it's original. Um, the same goes for composition. Get the, get the judges thinking about things in terms of these factors, and they should give you a selection that makes sense. Tell them that the final judge final judging is curating a book or an exhibition, let's say, and they will they will look at a certain style of picture. Um, it, it should work. I hope it works. I mean, and, and so much of this is driven by what we as the organizers tell the judges we want them to consider in terms of how they judge and score the images. I know that several of our judges have voiced you know, very clear opinions to us. And I think we all share these opinions that, you know, what we've seen in a lot of competitions is images that are basically just cookie cutter copies of other people's compositions. And 
popular locations, like those are probably not going to do well in this particular competition because those are the types of things that our judges are kind of tired of seeing in the general uh, in in general. <laughs> Sorry. And quite frankly, apart from anything else, we have spent so long talking about the judging process that if we can't get it right, then nobody's going to. Tim and I have had hours of arguments over little minute things. That, is this allowed? Is this not allowed? It's it, Yeah, we've we've really done a deep dive into the judging process, as, as you can tell. Well, let me let me go around the horn in and, and we'll wrap up with this. Rajesh, we'll, we'll start with you. Um I spoke with William Neal and I think it's pertinent because he is a judge in the competition. And we talked about trends in, in nature photography and how it kind of has the tendency to move similar to fashion. So fashion reciprocates itself over time and you see trends come up in nature photography over time. And, and he agreed to that too. I think we're starting to come to the end of the fantastical approach to nature photography because of the awareness of issues that it causes uh, and also the degradation of trust between the public and photographers. I think that's a major problem here. Post-competition, we don't even have to mention the competition in this. Where do you hope to see nature photography go in, in the coming years? You know, let me take my own example. You know, I put out an image yesterday in Milky Way shot that I took last week, last week, you know, here in Dallas uh, on a full moon night. I mean, I could have easily taken a full moon shot, uh, ground, and then composited a, um, a, a new moon uh, night sky on top of it. Uh, it would still be looking right. I mean, the the for me, it was like being truthful to what I saw. Like, you know, the the power lines, the lampposts, everything still there. Um, it gave me a lot more satisfaction than creating this amazing image of these uh, blue bonnet flowers, you know, with the fantastic Milky Way in the background. And that's what I want people to feel like, you know, feel good about, it's okay. It's okay to not have this perfect sky. It's okay to not have the perfect conditions, like you know, but still take in the conditions you're you're dealt with, and be comfortable with it. And that's that's what I want um, the future generations to think about when they are taking a nature picture or landscape image. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I'm always inferring when I'm looking at these photos that have been perfected is that the original scene wasn't good enough. And people are going to the most incredible landscapes in the world, but they need to make them better. They need to make the foregrounds perfectly arranged, clone out any distractions, stretch the mountains and make the sky even more fantastical than it, than it was. And there's something amazing about photographer taking what they're given and turning it into an artwork. And, and that's why I'd love to see happening more and more in the future and just just having that craft recognized that the, i mean the traditional approach to, to landscape photography is if we're honest i mean that's that's what people have always done and i i just love to see that more and more really i guess what i would say is i would actually like to see uh i'm not, you know i'm not looking to see that digital art style go away or be less celebrated 
I just want to, I want a platform by which the type of photography that Alex and Rajesh are describing have its own voice and have a place where people that enjoy that type of photography be celebrated. I, I can remember as clear as day when I had this epiphany when I, on my podcast, when I had Alex Nail here and Aaron Bobnick on my on my show, and Alex describing that appreciation and having knowing that that is what that person actually experienced, and just how that makes you feel about viewing it, it it's it's transformative, and and I, I just want other people to have that experience as well. I want people to be able to look at work and say wow, this is amazing because that's exactly what that person experienced and that's incredible. Um, you know, I, I actually really like a lot of digital art type stuff like Benjamin Everett. I don't know if you follow him, at Benjamin on Instagram. Insane stuff. Like it's incredible work. But he's not shy about saying this is this is digital art and, um, and, and I still love it. But I, I like to know that it's... You know, and he doesn't make it the way he does it and presents it. It's he's very clear. Like this is not a real scene. In fact, he has people all the time say on his feed, "That's fake." And he's like, "I know, I created it." <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I wish we just had better language to to describe these things because, for me, it's it's deeply personal. And and I I could feel from Alex's conversation I had with him in what was that twenty eighteen, Alex, that that was deeply personal for him as well. And I'm sure it is for others too. I, I, I look at some of my old books. I mean, I, I looked at the original Joe Cornish book recently and, and only realizing now that he didn't know how to post-process pictures at the time. He actually didn't do any post-processing because he didn't know how to do it. He would take the transparency, have it on a drum scanner, and the drum scanner would go in the book. And that was it. And that whole book is from straight pictures with graduated filters for the sky, etc. Um, does that make the pictures better in any way? No, but it makes my experience of them more visceral. Um, and I think having a platform for people to share in that way is great. The, the, the idea, um, so many of these pictures that I see rely on juxtapositions of light, the lightning bolt and the rainbow or the clouds in the perfect positions reflecting light in such an amazing way on the foreground and the background at the same time, that I find it sad that I start doubting pictures. I see a great picture and I look at it and I ask myself, was that really like that? And you look at it and you start to say, well, if it's over-processed or if it looks like it's been processed, you start to trust it less. And we shouldn't do. We shouldn't trust pictures less just because they've had good processing. That's part of the deal around photography. The processing shouldn't have to destroy the visceral integrity of the subject. It can enhance it, still be truthful, but still be creative and talented. So I want to see a, a platform for people to play with that. It'd be great if there was uh, a few places where people could share pictures like that and not have to go to large format forums to see pictures. Matt, where can people go to learn more? I mean, we've talked an hour about it. I'm sure we've covered just about everything. Uh, learn more, or, or if they're inspired to do so, enter in the competition. Yeah, you can go to naturallandscapeawards.com. And I highly encourage people to check out our rules page because it does give you some examples of what is allowed and what is not allowed. Um, 
and you can see that there's plenty of room for you being able to edit your photos in some ways. And I'm not sure when this episode's going to go live, but we encourage people to also subscribe to our mailing list um, because that's where they're going to learn about the competition discounts as well as when we open for submissions on June 1st. Who do you hope to not see in the competition? David mm. David Johnston? Yeah, that's uh, a good I, I don't answer. Know. <laughs> that's a fantastic I, answer. No, I mean, I, you know, it's funny because not to use names, but as we were designing the competition, Alex and I had a lot of going back and forth. And it's like, actually, I would really love to see someone like Mark Adamus enter a, an image that is, you know, straighter. And I bet it would do very well. Well, on behalf of Matt, Tim, Alex, and Rajesh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, thanks for joining me and, and talking about the competition and also where photography may be going in the coming years. Thanks, David. Thank you, thank you David.